Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Today we are talking about the ninth. It's harder to keep track now. Ninth. Not tenth. Is this the tenth movie? Wait, hang on. No, 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 Ashlyn. Tenth is Nemesis. Eleventh is two thousand nine. So we are on nine. Oh my god. Okay, this is the ninth episode. Thank you for walking me through that, because I feel like if someone says, which one is Undiscovered Country, I'm obviously saying it's six. Yeah. But now that we get into these higher up movies and a totally different series, I have a really hard time keeping track. I mean, we're technically on the third TNG movie. There you go. Insurrection. That's how I think about it more. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like ninth overall, third in TNG, here we are. (laughs) And guess what, listeners? We are literally in the same room together right Can now. you tell that the quality is like more, a little different because it's one room and, and we're one echo, mic. Echo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one mic because we couldn't figure out two. Because we've tried two before in, our, in the past and it didn't Did work. Did not work, yeah. We need to hire a technical person, Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because we were just on A Strange New Pod a couple weeks ago and they had this amazing tech guy who was just truly like doing everything incredibly and i'm just like wow i wish i had that much tech knowledge to help us with our podcast tech knowledge (laughs) tech knowledge i think you were thinking truck knowledge and you just made it tech knowledge yeah tech knowledge oh yeah it's a real word (laughs) sorry (laughs) so today we are talking about insurrection but before we do any of that i first want to say that i hope you all had an amazing um past couple of days the holidays you know just finished up for us and that's why ash and i are together but yeah we're hoping that everyone is doing well we know that this omicron stuff is scary and like we're here with you you know like this is why we continue to do this pod is because it brings me a little bit of escape from the world but also like i love grounding my world in star trek so that's why we're still here doing this and we just are hoping that you all are doing well and staying safe that was beautifully said, Rihanna. <laughs> Thank you. That was lovely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have, yeah, more and more people keep getting sick. Rihanna and I were just talking about this before the pod, and to me, it's feeling like the a whole new wave all over again. It feels like we were back in March. So everybody just be safe. Go get your boosters if you haven't already. And we're going to make it through. Like, we've made it through all the other ones. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope that you will continue to join us and... We can make it through using Star Trek. Yep. (laughs) Well, and we also were so lucky to be with a lot of our family this week. We saw our mom, which of course we talk about our Moogie a lot on this podcast. Epic Moogie was here. Yeah, she was on the podcast for our time travel series. And so we got to see Insurrection with her in person. Our grandma joined in. My partner Brianna joined in. It was a blast all around. Once again, Danny is not present. (laughs) At the movie marathon. Your husband has got to get on this, Ashlyn. See, this again was a situation where he was home and I asked him, do you want to watch with us? And he was like, what's it about? (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, it's the Picard one and they like crash land on a planet and he said, nah. (laughs) 
I told him it's like a long episode of TNG, and he, I think that was not the right thing to say to, to him. Yeah. Yeah, it probably wasn't, but here well, we are. He missed it again. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, hmm, we'll have to put up a poll. Which do you think Danny will watch with us? Everybody? <laughs> I'm yeah. hoping 2009. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking he'll be joining for that, but it was just really fun that we could all watch it in person, and our mom had not seen this one, so that was a blast. Yeah, that was crazy. Well, and it was awesome because these weekly movie watches have been with Rihanna, Brianna, Mom, and me. And mm-hmm. then so having Nanny as an extra person and having everybody actually there in the flesh to watch yeah. the movie. And we didn't have to mute each other, you know, while yeah. we were watching. It was, it, we just sat it on the couch. It was amazing. It was really fun. And also, we played a drinking game during this movie. Yes, we did. Which was a blast. So, Ashlyn, can you read off the rules if you have them? Oh, I do. So, every time Picard was profound, if Data (laughs) was awkward in any way, (laughs) if they talk about age or youth, any singing at all. And then there's a scary waterfall that we decided to do, which was drink the entire time that Data was underwater, but Whoa. we had a hard time with this. And yeah. so I would say only when you see him under the water. Yeah. Don't do he... it when he first goes in, because you'll be you'll be dead. Yeah, when the kid's like, won't he rest? Like, don't do it then. No. Wait, Go until wait, you see Data under the water. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's a little, uh, little, little note for you. Um, <laughs> and then, of course... Literary quote is a staple here yeah. on the Dora Sisters podcast. That was a fun time. We really had a good time. I think the hardest one, though, was either the waterfall or whenever Picard said something profound. That happened a lot. Yeah, you might want to sub one of those out if yeah. you're looking for a more moderate night. Yeah. I love now that we're reading the drinking game rules because it reminds me of when we used to have watch lists and I'm like, season two, episode three. Yes. <laughs> I know. But instead, we're like giving you meticulous details yeah. about how to not die. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am excited to start watching all of the series of Trek again, but I will really miss the movies. I can't believe we're coming up on nearing the end of this movie series already. I don't even want to think about it, honestly. Yeah, I'm like yeah. having the most fun ever doing this series. Well, so. especially because of the way it ends. It just, I really feel like with Abrams, which is already controversial, don't go away. <laughs> Um, I'm just excited to end the series. Yeah. And on a high note, for sure. Absolutely. Before we get into this amazing movie, you know, we're talking about how grateful we are of our listeners, and we wanted to shout out one of our listeners and a person who was very entertained by our TikTok. (laughs) This person commented 15 times (gasps) on various of our TikToks. And not just like heart or like, haha, nice one. No, no, no. This person did like full paragraphs of amazing discussions about what our TikTok is about or like branching off. Like literally one time they talked about how like lockdown is also similar to an episode that they did in DS9 and about our TikTok about year in hell being kind of like the pandemic. And so it was just cool. Like they really were generating a lot of content and uh, conversation. And their name is Ventress Wren. Ventress underscore Wren. Their account is really cool. And literally on one of their comments, they said, I can't stop binging this account. Oh my God. (laughs) And like, it just makes my heart sore that we're actually getting some content 
appreciators on TikTok. Oh my God. Yeah. Thank God I have you on my team, Rihanna, because I think I've made like two TikToks. <laughs> I feel like I'm the John Green and you're the Hank Green of the situation where John only has like four total and then Hank is like a thousand. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. Rihanna is producing amazing content so thank you thank you <laughs> but i do have to say whatever you do make one it always gets like 15k likes <laughs> so like yours are always so high bar that i'm just always like searching for that one that's gonna make it like ashley's this is do. what i'm saying in the on dear hank and john they talk about this too that john's like one tiktok has like five million views oh and then gosh. hanks all have like <laughs> I mean, a lot, like 50K or something. Yeah, like he's still popular, but not John Green. (laughs) That's hilarious. And also I'm older, so I feel like there's a bit of a connection. And with that, let's start this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I was talking about how much fun I was having watching this movie in person. Mm-hmm. And it made me think back to a time when we watched movies in person all the time. Right. So it takes me back to the first time that we saw this movie. And Rihanna, can you describe your experience? You know, this one's tough for me because I think I remember so much about First Contact and so much about Nemesis that Insurrection sort of faded into the background for me. I do not remember what house we were at. I I know I was watching it with you because I watched every Star Trek movie with you besides 2009, but we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. Like, I, I, I think I remember the Data underwater scene. And, okay, I also do remember the British tar scene. Of course. This is the most iconic one. That is what, like, I as a child so much appreciated about this movie was like the silly goofiness as a kid my favorite star trek episodes were the holodeck shenanigans and the this sides of paradise you know all the the paradise and you know like shore leave those kind of yeah yeah. (laughs) ruth (laughs) like all of these like really goofy ones and so those really fun parts of insurrection is what stood out to me but i cannot tell you anything else about it from the first time we saw it This might be a time where I remember more than you do, Okay. but not too much. (laughs) I remember we were at mom's house, Mm -hmm. and I think we were in the living room. So this is breaking news, folks. We were not in the basement. (laughs) (laughs) Are you so glad you're listening in? Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure we were in the living room on the TV. Yeah. Okay. And I I only remember that because I think we had just like changed the configuration of the house. Oh yeah. And I think watching that movie like in a new configuration really helped me distinguish it. Yeah. But anyway, my recollections of it were that I really liked it. I walked away from this movie thinking it was like really solid. I was even okay with the Picard love mm-hmm. because I don't know, like he sells it so well because he's Patrick Stewart. I don't think I really liked the lady that much, Mm -hmm. which I'm still trying to think about her. Um, (laughs) Other than that, okay, also, of course, the singing. Yeah. And I remember that Riker and Troy, like, had some kind of thing happen. And of course, don't you feel like your breasts are firming? Oh, yeah. That's a line that I will never forget. That one's hilarious. But other than that, I could not tell you the name of the species, you know, that the whole plot is about or the planet or anything. Yeah. So the thing is, is that I came away with such a positive memory of this movie. I have not rewatched it Mm. since 
probably I saw for the first time. Maybe I've seen it three times, and I've seen really? I've like watched through parts of it for mm-hmm. the podcast. Yeah, but I just never go back and rewatch it. And I think because when I have time to kill, and I'm like, I want to watch a Star Trek movie. What am I going to go to? It's always Voyage Home or yeah. um, even Final Frontier, Wrath of Khan, First Contact, or one of the Abrams movies. And so yeah. I think that at this point, there's so much good Trek that my mind skips over this one. Because and it's not like great Trek. Yeah. yeah, and it's not like world-altering. Mm-hmm. What happens in this movie could easily be skipped and... I mean, like, so many of these movies are never mentioned again, but, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't even impact, like, nothing in the Federation is changed because of this. There's not even, like, a note in the history books, you yeah. know? Exactly. Yeah. This is so interesting. I mean, I think we should just dive in, because yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about that. Like, I think every single Trek movie that's made, the bar gets raised higher. And, like, no wonder <laughs> Abrams decided to do a whole new spin on Star Trek. Because there needed to be something that could beat out the last best Trek movie. And I think that is something that, like, constantly either the writers are excelling at or failing at or somewhere in between. And not that, you know, I think some Star Trek movies are, like, complete failures, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. all of them have their redeeming qualities. But I think that it's really hard to beat a movie like First Contact and to follow up that act is damn near impossible, in my opinion. And I think that that is what makes this movie not as higher ranked on my list of watchings. I think, too, what you were saying, Ashlyn, I also have only seen this movie like three or four times, which for me is very low, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think I only watched it again because of my Star Trek group. Right. Yeah, you've you have that most recent rewatch. Yeah. I'm really terrible at like Star Trek marathons. <laughs> we've never really done a full one. Which is crazy to say. Because we've done like a million Harry Potter marathons. Yeah. Well and also like Marvel has been such a big presence for mm-hmm. so much of our lives that I am always doing Marvel rewatches because movies are constantly coming out. <laughs> you have to prepare for the next one. Yeah, so I and mm-hmm. Star Wars too, and so I'm always rewatching Star Wars because there's another one coming and I wanna have it refresh and so we haven't had, except for Beyond and Into Darkness, like movies that we were looking forward to. And so yeah. it's like, oh, if we want to prepare for Into Darkness, we just watched Star Trek 2009. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to watch all of them. Exactly. And that's something that's very unique about Trek, I think. And it's important to note that, like, I feel like Trek movies in general are something that can be watched either, like, you could technically do the, the quote-unquote trilogy of Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, and Voyage Home. But for the most part, people are just going to watch Wrath of Khan or Voyage Home, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sad truth. Yeah, because Search for Spock, it's hard to just, like, pick out, be like, yeah. I want to watch, I want to be really sad today, <laughs> you know? I want to feel heartbroken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so what's interesting, you know, we kept talking about First Contact. This is also directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yes. This is his second Star Trek film, mm-hmm. and... I think he's using these characters to the best of their abilities. And for the most part, he's spreading that love around. He's letting everybody have at least a scene. Mm -hmm. I would argue maybe not Beverly. Yeah. She got really, like, kicked in this movie. (laughs) Doesn't she always? Yeah. Isn't this Beverly Crusher's constant song? I mean, I think at the end she, like hands over the mother to the the son who are, like, disconnected. Yeah, (laughs) and, like, she saves Anish in this so like that's cool i guess and she says her breasts are firmer yeah she she does 
<laughs> I mean, she like does doctor stuff, but yeah. I don't say like Troy actually got a pretty big part in this movie because of her thing with Riker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love to see it because yeah. I feel like overall in the show, Troy is more in shadow than Crusher. And so, well, maybe mm, that's just like in I my... I disagree. Maybe I just love Crusher so yeah. much more. <laughs> I think Crusher is always in shadow, sadly. Hmm. I love her. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I hate to think about it. Same. Well, <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, yeah. <laughs> most of these people get a really good scene. But I do feel like this is the biggest weakness is that, and we've already said it, and it's going to be my thoughts about this whole movie, is that it would have been a better TV episode. Mm-hmm. And I wish that they had taken the risk because I think also after kind of the weird flop of Generations mm-hmm. and then First Contact was so popular and is still the most popular TNG movie. I know that Paramount says we want a stable movie, you mm-hmm. know, one that's not going to tank, one that's good and going to yeah. bring people to the theater and won't be a one-hit wonder. And I feel like this is a solid Trek movie. It is. I feel like people are coming out of the theaters just like that was great. Yeah. They nailed it. Good job. But not like, I'm going to think about it for days. I'm going to rewatch it. This makes me really excited for another Trek movie. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, and I was looking up uh, some fun facts, as usual, before the pod today. So I just want to throw in a couple of, like, early ideas that they were talking about. So Michael Piller and Rick Berman's first draft of the script was about the Romulans and the Sona and the Baku. And it had a subplot for Picard. But then after they had some test screenings, they ended up changing a lot of things. I think a lot of it was they wanted to save money. And so Mm -hmm. they decided to film on location, which is in Lake Sherwood, California. Uh, We were watching this and Rihanna was like, that's California. (laughs) It's just, it was like, because we're from Colorado. And so my first thought is always that's Colorado. But then I had to look at the mountains. I'm like, that looks way more like the Sierras than it does the Rockies. Like there's just a difference. I always think Canada because Mm -hmm. I know Colorado is way too expensive to film in. Oh yeah. That's why even The Shining, only the scene that they're in Boulder actually takes place in Colorado. Like the rest of it is just filmed in probably LA or something because they cannot (laughs) get any places in Colorado which Mm -hmm. I'm always like that's the bait of my existence I would love to see more places shot in in our home state same oh well I agree with you on this hill yeah (laughs) this really random (laughs) this really random (laughs) hill that we're on so in this early draft the Romulans were going to kidnap Picard and like torture him basically but Rick Berman said he actually didn't want a movie where Picard wasn't the focus of the movie and he wanted him to be in it more rather Mm -hmm. than just be like taken hostage and then the crew has to function without him yeah and we already kind of had this in first contact with him going through something very serious and in generations and also data was kidnapped yeah so and i felt like data was kind of left out of that movie oh yeah same because i every time i see the board queen scenes i'm like this is cool but like i need everyone together yeah exactly so i'm i mean this is the first time i'm gonna agree with rick Mm -hmm. berman (laughs) first and last And then, yeah, and eventually they turned to the idea of writing about a Fountain of Youth type story. Which um, they already did in an episode, uh, you know, where Wesley and Picard get stranded with that one guy. Yeah. That, the healing water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally Fountain of Youth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was thinking even mentally while I was watching this, 
we've seen this type of episode so many times. Mm-hmm. I mean, even this is an episode that we went over for our family series, but which we hilariously forgot about. So yeah. we had to, we actually did it on the first episode. It was supposed to be in our TNG part two. Yeah. But we forgot that Worf had a brother, yeah. guys. Another like a, brother. Like a human a brother. Human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this episode that he's in is in season seven. And he, and what's it called? Um, Homeland or something? Homeworld. Oh, and I think you're right. I think it's home something. Homeward. Worf's brother, Nikolai. Anyway, so in, in this episode called Homeward, and we meet Worf's brother, who is a human named Nikolai, and he's Russian. Yeah. <laughs> and they haven't seen each other in a long time, and they have kind of a weird, complicated yeah, relationship. Yeah. And it turns out that he's studying this species on the planet, and he's planning on putting them on a hol- or No, he wasn't going to put them on a holodeck, was he? No, he was moving their colony to save their lives. And so he put them on a holodeck to simulate like them traveling and traveling until he could find a suitable homeworld for them. But he was trying to do this all without the Federation or the Prime Directive. The Prime Directive. Yeah. But he didn't tell them what was going on until like te- like the crew intervened yeah. and... <laughs> It was still false. I mean, actually, most of them didn't realize it was just that one guy. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so the point is, like, we've seen these movies. Sorry, I just remembered what happened. That was dark. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great episode, but it's very complicated. And I think that this also, like, kind of reminds me of the episode Journey's End with Wesley seeing his dad in the vision and, uh, like, sort of the Native American allegory for... The Cardassian border, you know, and so it's also sort of about like moving people and displacement. And so this is a very common topic in Star Trek, particularly Deep Space Nine. And I think that's another thing that really informed this movie is Mm. Deep Space Nine is in what? Like season... Who knows at this point? Ashlyn's always the one to check. I'll get it. I'll get it, friends. Okay. Oh my god, I forgot this came out in 1998 on your, your B-Day. Yeah, I was born in 1998. I'm as old as Insurrection. Because <laughs> they're talking about the Dominion uh, negotiations. Oh my god, they're in season six. Okay, so season six of Deep Space Nine is happening, and we've seen the same sort of plot used a lot for Bajor and Cardassian rule and all of that. And so I think it is such an interesting and important thing to talk about. And I'm glad the movie did tackle all these different things, but it is sort of like, yeah, you can make this an episode and it would be great. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that they were coming from like this darker place Mm -hmm. because of what they're doing in DS9. And I actually totally agree with you, but they said they were intending to make a lighter movie Mm. and I can kind of, I mean, I do think of this movie as a lighter one yes. compared to the Borg. Compared to Nemesis as well. Yeah, but I, I think it's to its detriment. You know, I feel like they were trying to do The Voyage Home and trying to have a funny one, and it just didn't quite You just happen. can't have, like, a, a, a narrative of diaspora and displacement and still have it just be, like, completely funny. Because, like, that is such a serious topic that, like, I think they clash too much. Because they have to be Star Trek, and they have to, like, solve and tackle these really important ethical issues. And so I'm thinking, you can still make it sort of the the things we love about Trek, but then that's not really movie proportion. So I understand why they were struggling with the tone, but I then also struggled with it. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree. 
Well, and I'm thinking about similarities between this and First Contact just from Frakes' directing style, because once again, we kind of have two plots, an A and B plot going on. Like it's kind of the rest of the crew and then Picard with this lady. Yeah. Which was exactly First Contact, Picard and this lady. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So true. I felt like the scenes where Riker and Troy are like starting to rekindle their love and even Jordy getting his eyes back and everything cool that happens with the crew is very separate and it yeah. doesn't deal with the politics of the situation. Yeah, they like escort the people up to the caves mm-hmm. and everything. The Baku when, you know, the we're kind of in the heat of the movie, but I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Picard is always the one to really tackle it himself. And I think this is also sort of a, a trope for TNG is that he was the one who, yes, of course, everyone helped get the ship there. But then he's the one saying the big speech about joining and being friends and like maybe try to go and live with like maybe the Sona should try and go and live with the Baku again and all of this stuff. And so like creating these compromises where he needs to. So it was very much reminiscent of the series. And it's, I think to its strength in a lot of ways because like these opening scenes the banter is just on point and like it feels like any old episode of the next generation where picard's learning greetings you know troy's teaching him and it's really great the way they do this it's very west wing they're like on the fly they're walking to the turbo lift getting ready to greet everyone and picard doesn't then put on that cute little ceremonial beads yeah the bead headband (laughs) (laughs) mom's over here like snapping pictures of him like it's just hilarious we're all like we love this bead look picard's got going and everyone's sort of like playfully teasing each other the banter is just so perfect because you know these actors have such incredible chemistry and i think it's also in part to the fact that Spiner's not in the beginning of this included. I know that's mean because Data's like one of my favorite characters, but I do have issues with Spiner. And I think later in the movies, like I feel like they can have this really natural thing going on when everyone's still excited to be there. And I don't think Spiner was at this point. What do you think so? Do you think he still wanted to make movies or was it just like, give me plot, give me money? Um, Rihanna, Data has his own little plot in here. I know. Do you think he was happy? Like, I mean, he was happy of course, but like, I, I don't know if, I don't know, it just doesn't really yeah. feel, it feels even more natural without Data there, and I hate to say that. Wow, With, I never I, expected this. I never expected to think it either, but like I didn't find myself missing him in that moment because with movie Data, I struggle a lot trying to understand his character Except for in First Contact, I can really start, you know, like, because Data... I think he's great in First Contact. ...is amazing in First Contact, but I don't know. I I think maybe it's sort of muddled with me like it is with Shatner, you know, trying to separate the actor from the character. Sometimes it's hard for me in these movies when, like, I know the backstories of, like, Spiner is kind of not a great guy, and so it's, like, hard for me to then see these scenes with him and be like, is he even, like... (laughs) You know, like, is he just, like, he's, it's just sad to think, like, he's just doing it to get in more of the movie and to, like, get more money. But I don't know. I don't want to bring it down. It's just an interesting observation. No, 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 not bring it down. I am agreeing with you. I think, well, sort of. Mm -hmm. I don't think Brent Spiner understands Star Trek because Mm -hmm. the reason he's so popular as a character is not because we want to see necessarily, like, a whole Data episode where he's, like, hanging out with his, you know, like, older versions of himself. Mm-hmm. Like, those ones are fun, but the ones we like more are the ones with Data and Lowell, where he's, like, working with Crusher and Jordy yeah. to 
uh, like make a family for himself or yeah, our day to day where he's dancing with Crusher and like learning he's interacting yes. with all of these people mm-hmm. and the problem is when Data's solo and he's off doing his own thing it's not quite as fun it was yeah. fun with the Borg Queen because she was doing all these things to him that that like, were not seen before. that are actually new for the character to do yes so absolutely yeah well said and so i think that's why you're feeling that way i've never felt that way but you're right yeah. <laughs> i think i should be feeling i that didn't way. realize i was i was just feeling like this feels really perfect to me these dynamics and i was like ouch like no but data's not here but this part with data you know sort of being this pseudo villain in the beginning where we're not sure what's going on with him is so reminiscent of the end of first contact where we're like is he gonna shoot at the phoenix and then of course he doesn't and so again we're sort of questioning data here because we don't have the full story and i do really like that they sort of just drop us in medeus rest in the middle of the action because then it's like this perfect way for us to get into this movie where we're just seeing the bad guys side at first it's really genius like well good on franks and and the writers for that we don't even know they're the bad guys because they're mixed with starfleet people exactly and so this could be just like a normal Federation spying operation. Yeah. Totally fine. <sighs> I know. Well, that's why I think, too, that's probably why they nixed the Romulans is because, like, to make it a Federation involved, you know, with the villains is really, really interesting. I really am liking this dynamic because it's what we're seeing more in Deep Space Nine. And it's something we're going to question a lot in Discovery and Picard and Enterprise a little bit. So I think that, like, it's already planting these seeds to show, like, the Federation is not not what we thought it was in the original series and every single movie alludes to this a little more but it's getting very clear now well and i think it nicely sets up the place that we're at in picard so far you know Mm -hmm. like 25 ish years from now in insurrection time yeah (laughs) and so you can understand watching picard you're not shocked if you've seen like this movie or you know there's always some corrupt person in the federation especially if they're an admiral (laughs) yeah don't trust the admirals and if you are an admiral become a captain again yeah or just retire (laughs) at that point just end it just go to risa live out your days exactly yeah so i totally agree i love where the movie starts Mm -hmm. i adore the scene with Worf and picard singing to data yes and i also think it would not work (laughs) (laughs) because data can do like a thousand things at once and so absolutely he could sing along and like also not get docked well i think a little bit he wanted to get caught Mm. i was thinking he maybe had his emotion chip but he didn't he left it behind jordy said said he loved that plot point at home Yeah. His undercover mission. Figure out what's going on with the Baku. And trying to protect the colonists. More so that he's trying to protect Starfleet. Yeah, and so we know that something was messed around with his memory in Grams. And his, like, prosotronic net was a little bit messed up. you can't say memory, you have to say memory engrams. Like, that's just how you function. You're like, it's not Data's memory, it's his freaking engrams. Well, yeah, because they were taken out of him. Oh, yeah. So legitimately. I'm the one. (laughs) And so part of it was corruption, but I think also he's like, oh, Picard and Worf are here. They're safe. Like, even if it's in, it's in his, like, programming at this point, because he's constantly evolving, to know that his captain and security officer are going to take care of him, and they're not going to hunt him down and turn him off as the Admiral wants. It's crazy, this Admiral guy. No, now that you're saying it, I agree. 
But I think you're right. This is such a lovely scene because it reminds us, like, like they can appeal to data like no one else can. Oh, yeah. Well, I also want to talk about why Worf is even there, mm-hmm. which I love. <laughs> In the opening scene, or maybe the second scene. Okay, oh, yeah. God. They're just doing, okay. nego- or they're just, like, meeting... And, and Worf just happens to be at the party, I think. Is that right? Or was he invited? Yeah, so he starts to tell this crazy story. He's he, Because Picard's like, Worf, what are you doing here? And he's he's like, well, sir, it's this crazy story, essentially. And then five other people are coming up to Picard to ask him something. And he's like, sorry, Worf, later. And we never get it. Yeah, I mean, that that's like breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. yeah it's essentially being like, we don't care how, how we Worf. got there, but yeah. we're so pumped to see him. <laughs> we're just glad he's here. And I don't even mind. I just think it's hilarious. I also think that getting Michael Dorn back, I I mean, I don't know if like there was any issues with the actor or anything. I'm sure they, you know, knew he's in DS9 and he has to finish out his time there. Right. But I don't, I think he was always pumped to return. Absolutely. And so what I've noticed, and this is the second movie now where he, you know, is on DS9 I've noticed that he is really featured, but in a good way. Yes. He's not pulling a data where he's, like, going on his own Klingon quest. Mm-hmm. Like, he is a vital part of solving the main problem in the movie. Yeah. And he's, again, I'm like, he's the heavy. He's the guy who's going to fight all of the Baku and, yeah. and kind of get his booty kicked. Yeah. But also, he is really awesome in this movie. Yeah, and can I just add quickly, I think, too, he's not just the heavy in this, though. Like, they give him an even more important role of, like, he's going through this uh, transition of his body. is going through Klingon um, puberty Puberty. once again. And so they finally pick up Data, you know, and they're taking him back to the ship. And I really do like this scene that, like, again, I'm like, Franks is a genius. Like, just the way this is done. And the writers did this so well, where... The scene with the pimple, like they beam aboard, Worf's there, and Picard is like, Did you get into a fight, Mr. Worf? Because he has this like really large pimple on his cheek, and Worf is just like scowl city, you know, like he's just so <laughs> upset, understandably. And Data then like leans over and subtly is like, A pimple, sir, because like Worf says it in Klingon, whatever. And so it's the smallest thing, but that data character development is phenomenal because season one data, season three data would be like, it is a pimple, sir, you know, like, and like loudly, loudly, yeah, not being subtle, being very like rude, but not meaning to be because he's not used to cling on emotions. And so the chip did work for something, you know, and like, even though it was a stupid plot, <laughs> it still furthered his development to this really beautiful stage where he's learning these subtleties and being very respectful to Worf. I mean, we've talked about this in our family series, but Data and Worf have such a kinship that can't be really topped by a lot of other characters. They're both orphans. They were both like picked up by people and really outcasts in their society. And so they have this connection and Data knows a lot about Worf's honor and like he does not want to be pointed out to everyone about his pimple. And that's why Riker, sorry, I'm ranting here. (laughs) But Riker's so mean. He's like, wow, Klingons don't do anything small. I'm just like, he's, Riker has no subtlety the Data has. And it just is like really interesting to see that character contrast. See, I love this because I thought you were saying you like this scene because of the pimple. Like you like, 
you liked how it was like clever and I was like I am ready to fight you no. because this is so rude to Worf yeah, like so they did mean. my boy Worf dirty yes. I love him and I do not like seeing him subjected to these pimples yeah and just the sort of like it's also showing that like I can't believe in this century people are still like embarrassed by pimples of like human oh things God. that happen we or, need like, to get over it body and that things. includes me yeah <laughs> like, yes humanity needs to get over the pimples man literally I'm like you know whenever it's my time of the month I break out and I get all embarrassed about my pimples that's ridiculous that's how bodies work and so like the fact that Riker is being so insensitive here about this is frustrating but it's cool to see data you know in contrast because i think in past it could have been reversed oh absolutely i'm glad that's why you like this scene yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah everyone's going through some interesting changes um we talked about the boobs are getting soft firm no i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) firm seems like softer is better but i know it's like young and firm young and firm oh god (laughs) Yeah, and so it's because of this planet, and I feel like we should talk about the Baku and yeah. how they roll. <laughs> they roll great. They're doing well. They're, They're doing thriving health wise. We yeah. Well, duh, most planets are. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, the Baku have been on this planet for three hundred years. Dang. And they don't look a day over forty. Well, okay, so <laughs> there's six hundred of them, mm-hmm. and. Has there been, like, 600 the whole... I, okay, I guess, like, are the are the ones who've been living on this planet mm-hmm. for 300 years, are they the same ones, or are, are this, like, a, a different generation? Like, um, are they we all do know, 300 years old, besides the kids? <laughs> we do know that the Sona was related to them, and so there was a generation, but it's not that far removed. I'm pretty sure that she's, like... That um, she's probably like one fifty or two hundred or something. Yeah, like she's just around there, and so wow, yeah, she's looking great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really good for them. Yeah, yeah, but also like I think that this is sort of where we get into the whole discussion about youth and the temptations of youth and how this is why this planet is such a hotbed of activity and that the Sona want to take it over because once they left the planet. Their faces. <laughs> well, okay, they defected because they're like, we're new age kids. We don't want to be on this planet where you. They were like listening to punk rock. You know? Yeah, their yeah. Their parents didn't understand them, so yeah. they have to go. It's like the. Uh, it's like in the Doctor's simulation in Voyager. His like son was with those like Klingons who were like Pokeron Klingons. I'm like, I love that. I love this niche as F reference. <laughs> Thank you. I just think about those Klingons who are listening to punk rock so anyway uh they left the planet and then of course started like losing the effects of the youthfulness and the like health of the planet yeah which is radiation i guess i guess it's the only radiation that's good for you (laughs) (laughs) so i and i think it's because i'm young Mm -hmm. i do do not really relate to this movie Mm -hmm. and also I, i don't know maybe my thoughts will change when i'm older but I'm very much a live in the moment type of person. And even though like I I used to be very nostalgic, but I also know that my best years are happening right now, mm-hmm. even if it's really hard. Yeah. And that I keep I am getting better as I age, like mentally. And mm-hmm. so like I'm really getting it together. And so like every year is better. And I know I'm like coming out of 
hormones and stuff. My sure. body is still like figuring it out. But now that I'm feeling like more adult, every year has been better, even if it's... Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like 2020 was not a better year, but like, but mentally, like I, I am improving as all of us are yeah, as we absolutely. age. And so I can't imagine feeling like even physically I would want to mess with that process at all because each step is beautiful, even if it's not like talked about i don't know i think i'm also kind of trying to channel mom a little bit moogie because she talks about how every year she becomes better like this is kind of like what she always talks about and that she wants her life goal to be is that like you're always able to appreciate life i don't know yeah no and, and i think too she would talk about how like raising us like she loved every step of the journey yeah, of raising us exactly even when we were teenagers or terrible like, who twos. wants to raise teenage girls is yeah. the stereotype but we were angels yeah and even <laughs> if you're not like you shouldn't harp on teenagers i was not an angel <laughs> you were very we were both just you know doing what we could as teens mm-hmm. and it's hard and i think being in this perpetual state of teenhood or young adult or youth even is very tricky and I think it perpetuates a lot of this like the toxic culture of like beauty and appearance and like I think of course the health benefits were amazing um but even with Jordy getting his eyesight back it then falls into the rhetoric of ableism and like that he was not as complete without his sight or that he was lesser than or not healthy and so I think it's really an important thing they're talking about in this movie. And I think something that Picard is really like agreeing with us, you know, I think that I really liked Picard's take on this movie of they did sit and enjoy the moments, you know, where time would literally slow down because they had to hit that metaphor really hard on the head. Cheesy cheese. (laughs) Yeah. So funny to me, but still, I just think it's an important thing to discuss because like, youth culture and like youth in general are so either criticized heavily or like very much like exalted and there's no in between and it's like but no one talks about like these incredible women in their 40s and 50s or women who have children late or were like Loaxana Troy is just seen as this like annoying old lady instead of like a beautiful growing woman who is like continuously bettering herself and also still having the time of her life you know and experiencing things that are hard and also beautiful and fun and so I think that yeah it's it's such an interesting concept always the fountain of youth and how Star Trek tackles it because it's it's not toxic like it doesn't feel like these people you know not like everyone on the Enterprise is like sign me up let's go live on this Mm -hmm. planet you know because we've reached past a point where vanity is so ingrained into Starfleet but it's still here in this culture and it is still in Starfleet you know but it's not maybe in these characters that we're following as much I think and I hope that the biggest reason they would want to be on that planet is to like heal old injuries you know Mm -hmm. like if someone who has cancer that they can't cure comes on the planet then they'll be fine Mm -hmm. like that that kind of stuff is cool you know I'm down for that and I'm down for them exploring like what properties make this happen like could we replicate it or is it something that is just in this specific environment? But that solution does not, or those type of studies do not involve like secret spying, especially mm-hmm. because they're aware of like the prime, like the, this is not a prime directive situation because they yeah. have very advanced technology. They just choose not to use them. Mm-hmm. And also because like you don't need to force them off the planet. 
Yeah. You know? And so that's why I'm saying, like, ask them, yo, yes. can we study your stuff? But really, the end goal all the time was to just steal a planet from them. Well, and I think this is also a slippery slope because even if they had asked to study, maybe the subjects would have become the colonists on the planet, you know? And so it's always this, like, tricky that's thing true. with people coming in to, like, quote unquote make worlds better when like they're already great the way they are but I think it's also important exactly what Starfleet does is they use the resources of planets and to help everyone including the people on the planet and so to think that Starfleet was involved in this pretty horrific act of act of displacement and that they have in the past because of territorial disputes or what have you shows that like every like Starfleet values can be corrupted easily by desires for youth and by these sort of like quote-unquote seven deadly sins or these like the vices of humanity always come and peek their heads out yeah it's so true dang rihanna (laughs) (laughs) the surveillance stuff is really hard for me to reconcile with we talked about this kind of on our episode deep space ethics in our pilot (laughs) series of deep space nine about odo and like his the ethics behind him becoming a bag to spy on people <laughs> i've never thought of this before until our moogie brought it up that like she does not like the part of the prime directive where you can still just survey worlds and not let them know you're there you know because that is definitely a form of surveillance yeah absolutely i i i can't <laughs> speak on this because yeah. uh, I don't know. Spying's just not great, you know? Yeah. And especially when it's for this, like, very nefarious purpose. It's so, so, so sketchy. We're definitely going to talk about this in Into Darkness. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, this is just a theme that keeps on giving. Is mm-hmm. this Starfleet is the worst sometimes. Yeah. And, yeah, so there's so many implications of that. And really, seeing this Admiral just so casually brush off Picard and then start to get more severe with him and really like get into Riker's business like trying to get them usher this off usher them off the planet so that they can continue their very sketchy negotiations with the Sona it's just surprising it's like I don't know it always hurts me a little to see a Starfleet officer so deeply involved in something that is clearly so wrong and like there's so many other ways that could have been negotiated better that like it is great we have Picard here because he is so integral always in these negotiations it's just he doesn't get time to talk to anyone until they're finally you know on the holodeck ship which was they thought was the real ship and not you know whole switcheroo they did (laughs) Yeah, I feel like Admiral Daughtery is his name, Mm -hmm. and I, like, either the script was not as fleshed out as it should be, or Daughtery is just, like, really dumb and, like, is desperate to have this allyship with the... Sona. With the Sona, because he didn't even know that the Sona and the Baku were the same race. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, like, it didn't take much digging for the Enterprise. Dude, you have to do some basic investigating before you just hop into bed with these people and, like, drag Starfleet's name through the mud like this. And, like, really disrupt a whole culture, you know, and displace them. There's huge consequences. Yeah. They had holding cells ready. Like, this is truly how horrible all of this is. Is like, this wasn't something just they were starting to think about doing. This had been going on for years, it seems Mm -hmm. like. Or at least you know a couple months well and the justification is what daughtery says like it's only 600 people to help billions 
and everyone in the theater and everyone watching says, um, I saw Wrath of Khan. Sometimes yeah. the needs of the one, the few or the one, outweigh the needs yeah. of the many. <laughs> Thank you. This These warring cultures um, had such horrible disagreements that it really brought them to this level. And it, it's just because it's in the guise of like helping others, you know, then that makes it okay. I know this is going to sound dark, but you know how like, you're more likely to get hurt by a family member than you are a stranger. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this is definitely the case here where... Well, I think it's not the case for everyone on the ship. Mm-hmm. I think it's only the main dude. Yeah, he's really <laughs> revenge-driven. What is that dude's name? The main <laughs> dude. Um, well, Galmar is the homie who defects. Is it Ru- Ru- Rafo? Oh, yeah, Rafo. Yeah, <laughs> Rafo is kind of awfo, in my opinion. Oh, man. <laughs> that one kind of hurt me. <laughs> um, yeah, and we see his first officer, or whoever like the equivalent is, he does turn on him. Yeah, Galinar. He's yeah. awesome. Because he sees that Rafo is planning, like he's fine murdering the Baku. Mm-hmm. Galinar is not cool with murder, so that's good at least. Yeah, and it, they are good at showing this distinction. It's, there, a, it's a, a just mindless restriction. Yeah, but yeah. I'm glad Star Trek is taking the time and mm-hmm. Franks and... I guess Rick Berman, Ugh. Michael Pillar, yeah. <laughs> to flesh this out. Yeah. Um, I also just want to address a note I have that yeah. I totally forgot about. So, okay, they, in the first, like, ten minutes of the movie, they're talking about the Sona mm-hmm. and the Baku, and they mention that they produce the Ketracel White. Mm-hmm. Okay, what? What? Literally like, what? Literally, I, I was kind of asking you, do you know anything more about this? I don't think... I mean, it literally, they, then they talk about how they're working on Dominion negotiations. Like, there's yeah. quite a few Deep Space Nine references in here. And I just have, had no clue. Yeah, so apparently the Dominion negotiated with the Sona and asked them to produce Ketracel White on Devos 2. So... I just love that this is yet again another movie referencing. They're like, hey, go watch Deep Space Nine and you'll learn more about that. Or, hey, if you're watching Deep Space Nine, here's an Easter egg. I felt like that was more what it was Mm -hmm. because they do that so much. I've been watching The Flash and they'll have like a one minute, not really spoiler, but kind of like update on the other show. Mm -hmm. And But it's like not spoilery. It's like, oh yeah, this person is... Now running for mayor. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> From another show. So, so I feel true. like it's kind of like that. Like, you know, the media is always trying to promote the other thing. Oh, absolutely. It's how the world <laughs> keeps going. But also, I just have questions. Like, the Dominion, like, sensed their evil presence and asked them to make <laughs> the white. How did they make the white? I think they ran into each other and maybe they manufactured it on that planet. I just, I don't but... understand. <laughs> Yeah, it's I just guess crazy. if they're like warp capable and they have they have like a lot of powerful technology, I guess they can do it. Yeah, random. Absolutely, and yeah. we know that the Baku and the Sona come from a very technologically advanced society that just like Ashlyn said, choose not to use technology. And so this is when we like we also find that there's a secret holodeck in the middle of the. That's why Data's swimming. It's in the middle of the <laughs> ocean, or it's the middle of his lake, and. Um, I do really like it because Arnage, she goes with Picard and Data and they go and investigate and she's just like ready to fight for her people and ready to go and figure this stuff out. She gets really annoyed when Picard mansplains to her about technology. She's like, yeah, I told you, we already know all this. 
And it's really great. Like, I really do like her character. It just did not get enough writing time. And the time they do, they just end up talking about how wonderful it is to live in the moment. And how artisans take 40 years of apprenticeship before they can even start to go with a master. This is the first time I actually really like her. Same. Watching it. And I think it's probably because I'm, I've, like, woken up and, like, understood that so many movies don't actually flesh out their female characters. Mm-hmm. And... I am also not as jealous of her anymore because growing up, I'm like such, I'm so in love with Picard that any woman, even like the cool ones, I was still like jealous of them, low key. Yeah. (laughs) I really respect her and I love when he, well, I don't love when he mansplains, but I love that he right right back. She's like, hey, I know that, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like, seriously, she just told you that, Picard, like give it the times. And one, I, I love it too because it's a, like, it's classic that normally the female in the movie is, like, someone who doesn't know anything about Star Trek or is from the past yeah. or something or doesn't know yeah. about Starfleet. And she doesn't know about Starfleet, but she doesn't care. Like, yeah. she's just there to help with the situation. Exactly. And I think that's something that's really beautiful about their culture is that, like, a culture who chooses to sort of reject technology and that type of advancement is is a culture that is willing to be more centered around community and around family and that's why the sona's betrayal is so keenly felt by everyone and i think that like that scene at the very end where the mother is reuniting with his son who the mother baku is reuniting with his sona son (laughs) is so cool because it's very like it, it shows that family is so deep within the veins of this culture and because they live for all these decades. Yeah, that was really the sense I got too was because they've lived so long, they understand that like time will go by, things pass, and situations change, but it's the people who really make life worth living and like and so good. And so I think that's keenly understood in this culture absolutely yeah when the sonar take picard hostage and everything and he's trying to get through to them the sonar i think kind of goat him and say like oh you, you stop pleading for your life and he says i'm pleading for yours you know and i really like that he sort of shows them the beauty of what the baku have and i do think though like how long do you think this is going to last for the sonar like i think that they defected for a reason and there is a reason why they were unhappy with the pace of society like they wanted a faster paced life that didn't involve just like sitting around watching butterflies flap slowly you know like a lot of people have different feelings about this planet of course the one who was very corrupted he died yeah he died and like he you know he Rufa, was Ruf, yeah Ruf, Rolfo yeah <laughs> he died but I'm just wondering about the others. Like, do you think that they'll integrate back into society or do you think that they'll move on? I think it's a big planet and they should be able to live somewhere other than this village if they yes. want to defect, you know? Yeah, and they can make their own technology or they could create a faster-paced culture or whatever they wanted, like, and still have it be harmonious. Yeah. I mean, there's only 600 people there. I feel, I feel like they can all live in harmony, you know? Yeah, and it seems like there's yeah a lot of beautiful places they could settle down. <laughs> Oh, I also yeah. loved the hacky sack circle. Oh my god. <laughs> and even Troy was yeah. like, their mental and physical coordination show that like they are highly trained minds. And essentially she's like, nice sack circle, bro. Yeah, exactly. 
I was like, are we on a college campus? <laughs> oh my God, that was so funny. And they're talented though. I've never seen that good of a hacky sack. So okay, cool. I feel like like during watching this movie, I was thinking about the audition for the hacky sack <laughs> circle. You know, like you come in and Rick Berman's there and he's like, show me what you got. And yeah. then this kid is like, do, 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 like doing amazing hacky sack moves. Yeah. <laughs> it was phenomenal. I was very impressed. Yeah, me too. Because I, I just feel like you can't teach a kid that. they. I mean, like like a random kid on the street. Oh, they yeah. Have to, like, no, they have a passion I'm for sure the that, <laughs> I'm sure that the audition said, must be good at hacky sack. <laughs> I mean, it's LA. You can find anyone there. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, also... I want to talk a little bit about Picard mm-hmm. even more. I yeah. want to keep talking about oh, Picard. So, I, so we talked about also how Data is a little bit different in these movies than he is on the show. I think Picard also is a little bit different because he is now having to play the Kirk role in some of these situations mm-hmm. where he wouldn't normally if this was just like a normal episode. But because it's a movie, they are trying to raise the stakes. And so... When Rufao, when Rafo, when when the falafel, um, (laughs) when Rafo goes over to the ship, to the holodeck ship, Mm -hmm. to try to, like, send out a signal to destroy Yeah, it's the one that sort of, like, terraforms the world, I think, or some sort of, like, it grabs the radiation so that they can take it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so... Rufao is Rulafo. Rulafo. I think it's Ru- oh. Rafro. There's no L. Oh, Rulafo. Rafo. Um, he is trying to stop the ship from make it affect the planet. And Picard chooses to go on his own mm-hmm. to stop this guy. And he is so cool about it. Yeah. This is a Picard who is not afraid. And we know he's a brave person. Yeah. But I don't really remember another time him being like so unwaveringly like i don't i don't know i mean i think chain of command part one and two but like that's because he was being tortured for like three days he he, like that situation is he's he well i guess you're right i was just gonna say he thinks he's protecting beverly from being tortured as well Mm -hmm. and in this situation he's also protecting his crew yeah and the colonists and the colonists yeah who who he's like in love with one of them yeah uh, over one day <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm not mad um, he does love harder than he used to as well i think yeah but he's also just i just can't get over how cool he was Worf and picard are the ones together on this ship and Worf is fighting off the sona and picard is the one he's like i'm going over Worf just beam me over but mm-hmm. they have to get really close on the ship because they have these like instant transporters or like these land ones that they were using on the planet to grab the Baku. Yeah. So they have to be within like a hundred yards of the ship, which is really close um, to beam Picard back. And so Worf's getting closer and and Picard's just like being amazing. He's doing a classic pull out the latch to do a manual disengage because that's the only way that any writers know how to write a finale (laughs) is you have to go to the thing and unplug it and like twist it (laughs) while some fire or radiation or a villain is teaching not chasing you yeah it's it's literally insane like guys you need to figure out i say guys for a reason yeah anyway (laughs) because you're you're all men anyways (laughs) anyway you're talking to the writers yeah come on stop being men (laughs) 
Bravo. And you're right. He's taking the Kirk action scenes. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, I don't know. I really do like seeing Riker behind the captain, or in the captain's chair, though, for this. Like, I think it is a taste of how we're going to see him in Lower Decks and how we get to glimpse him in Picard. It's really fun to see Riker almost at his own command, and he's almost that captain level. I think he's been captain level for a while. He was offered the ship by his dad, you know, all this stuff. He's been offered command quite a few times in the series, but I think that his desire to stay on Enterprise was too strong. And now he has a different desire is to connect with Troy more. And I think that in that process, he sort of like can transition from loving to be first officer on the Enterprise to like maybe starting to think about his own captaincy is as long as Troy can come along, he'll be happy, you know? Yeah. This movie, I really felt like Riker and Picard were bumping elbows a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's even that scene at the end where someone, where they even like speak a command at the same time, you know? And I am reminded that Riker is getting older. Like the whole crew is getting older. And it is ridiculous he doesn't have his own ship at this point. Mm -hmm. I think also because we're so blessed, like you're talking about with the Titan and um, Picard seeing him in such a like absolutely family rooted situation and distinguished you know he's had a like amazing career it's overdue for him to have his own ship and it's only because of the plot convenience that he doesn't well and i think his devotion to picard is still very very strong oh yeah i mean he's like doing he should have done what sulu did and like yeet and go get his own excelsior yeah but he loves picard so much yeah you know i agree to his own detriment (laughs) yeah absolutely to his own career uh detriment yeah but like i think that these scenes too we talk a lot about Riker and troy in our love and affection series but they are just their chemistry is so good and i just am reminded of this in this movie that Riker and Troy have had something going for so long and it can't get off the ground. It's painful and it's hard and it's the slow burn. And we're finally seeing this become way more romantic and come into fruition. They're having a bath together. He shaved his beard for her. Whoa. I've never kissed you with a beard before, <laughs> is what she says. Yeah, he goes, yuck. You said yuck to me? <laughs> I, I kiss you and you say yuck. <laughs> it's just iconic. All these scenes are so good to like remind us that Riker's changing. Okay, Rihanna, I was thinking this. I I have read before that this is all because of Jonathan Franks. Mm. And he was feeling like that they needed to end up together. Yeah. And this, of course, has been questioned on the show because the finale had Worf and Troy together. And it had, you know, I mean... It, the future didn't end up happening, but in what happened in All Good Things is that Riker and Worf became estranged. They became enemies because Troy died. Yeah. And they <laughs> were both angry about their relationship with her. And so I really like Worf's... He has like a one-liner to Riker. And there's been no tension about their relationship sure. or even mentions of Particularly it. Particularly because Worf's with Jadzia right Worf now. Worf is full married I don't want to think about what happens. It's fine. She's still well, good. She's also, doing well. depending on the like, which exact part of 1998 no, no, this was, please don't, she don't, might not don't you dare talk about Tears of the Prophets, or I will be Tears of the Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could call this one the Tears of the Rihanna, but it's a Deep Space Nine reference. <laughs> 
what I do, Ashlyn. I end up re referencing Deep Space Nine on things that are not even involved, but it's fine anyway. Normally, I just reference Picard when we're talking about like the what? Doctor. So, yeah, so yeah, luckily, yeah, we're here. Yeah. Exactly. What was it? Oh yeah, and so I am glad that they did have like one second to resolve any deep fans who yeah. were wondering like, is this going like all good things? Mm -hmm. Um, and if you haven't seen DS9, I guess, but um, I think he says something like something to Riker. I've known your feelings for her since the moment I met her. Those feelings will not go away. They were just let out. They were just like let out for some fresh air. Mm -hmm. I think he's what he says. And I thought that was really beautiful. It's gorgeous. I love that. Oh, Worf. I love talking about men <sighs> talking about their feelings is like amazing oh, it's and, next I love level. it I love and it it's one of the biggest strengths of Star Trek you know and there are men who don't and that's totally fine like but I do think it comes from a toxic culture of like raising men not to talk about that stuff and so the fact that they weren't just like bro we good you know like <laughs> like some other Star Trek characters might be they immediately just like clear the air and then then you know for certain that everything's fine to like Riker can just pursue Troy in any capacity, and Troy is on board. She is just really into him, and I love this because I've been waiting for this payoff for so long, and I remember feeling really satisfied about this when I watched this movie for the first time, particularly what's to come in Nemesis, because I always felt discouraged or like just sad that they weren't together at the end of this series, and I was worried that they just didn't take that priority you know, but they did. They did take the priority. It just took a while, you know, and I think this is probably one of the slowest burns in Star Trek history. Yeah, I was thinking of it, it like Ross and Rachel, you know, mm -hmm. like will they, won't they? But this is a so much better relationship than yeah. Ross and Rachel. Oh, 100%. Also because they didn't date for their whole time on TNG. They have at least minimum seven, probably like 10 years of really solid friendship yeah. where they got to know each other so well. They already knew each other so well, but sometimes when you're dating, you are like blinded to certain parts of someone. Mm -hmm. And so they got to see each other as friends. So they, you know, you got to see the whole darn thing, like yeah. good and bad. And so I really love that for them. And it warms my heart even more thinking about them on Picard in... Oh, yes. Um, what is, episode is Nepenthe. that? Nepenthe. Oh, Nepenthe. In Nepenthe. It <laughs> always reminds me of The Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> Was it in Nepenthe? It's oh, really close. You're, it, you're right. Wow. <laughs> That's really a close. deep cut Disney reference. Yeah, it's, it's a bop. Everyone go listen. Uh, we, I, we don't want to get sued by Disney, so I'm going to show that. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll agree. I love this payoff. I did think it was kind of out of the blue, but I think the planet making them all like kind of feisty and horny anyway. I think that was a part works. of it, but I think it also is Riker transitioning into this different phase of his life. I mean, they talk about like Riker going through a midlife crisis. They joke about that, but I think more it's not a crisis as much as it is, is like a self-actualization moment for him. And because Franks is directing this, no wonder yeah, he wants course. to flush out his character. He's like, guess what? Riker's getting an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, and it's not the selfish way that maybe Spiner would have done, but it's this really like it's still worth works with the plot without being overwhelming and I don't feel this is like a Riker and Troy like fan movie <laughs> you know <laughs> like this is still just it's it's natural to the plot and it's so funny when they're in the bath and the admiral calls like I love this scene you know where he's just like put them on and and Troy continues to drink her champagne like it's just perfect well I feel like 
they are so comfortable in this life so fast being together because they've all been on duty in awkward situations when an admiral calls or off duty when an admiral calls. In the holodeck and stuff. Oh my God, yeah. Oh, in terrible costumes. Totally. So I actually was freaking out for Riker because I was like, oh my God, it's going to be a video chat. Like, (laughs) there's going to be a TV. He put himself on (laughs) mute for that one. He said, camera off. Please, Data. (laughs) But I was so stressed. I was like, because you know how sometimes like they have TVs in the room and I thought the admiral was just going to appear. Pop up. And then like, Riker's there, like with shaving cream, naked, <laughs> and then like a hand shaving. Yeah. I was so having like secondhand fear for Riker. <laughs> I think that's also maybe like a quarantine pandemic symptom. Oh, yeah, that, like, we've all seen a like, Zoom video a go wrong. Yeah, you know. Oh, so. I did not want that for him. No, or absolutely for me. not. Yeah, or for Dowdery, frankly. <laughs> no one wants involvement with that. Yeah, okay, I don't have much more to say about this film, Ashlyn, but one more thing I do... <laughs> You're, like, wrapping up. <laughs> no, 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 I just, like, it. just so you know, I don't know. Well, no, yeah, I'm down there, too. <laughs> but I do also really like this sort of evolution we have here with this kid on the planet and Data and their interaction. Well, first you see that this kid has a little bit of bias when it comes to machines and technology. He's, of course, I mean, Data also just attacked their colony, like... Um, He's feeling very suspicious of Data, not responding to him. And you can tell it's like as much as Data claims he doesn't have emotions, I think he honestly just displays his emotions in a different way. And like he does it through action. And you can see, yeah, like emotions aren't, you don't have to show them in a certain way. You don't have to be creative or imaginative, imaginative in a certain way. Anyway, this is what the kid is teaching Data throughout this is once they start to become friends, once he sees that, oh my gosh, like Data is doing everything he can to help us. He is just like kicking butt, you know, and he's also super strong and fun, but he's realizing Data doesn't know how to play, you know, and I think like Data's constantly talking about like, I was never a boy, you know, or like how he never really got that like fun spirited play that kids have. And I think that's like essential to childhood development if you're like a species that is more centered around emotions and like community and family and stuff. And so missing that just like fun play for data is essential and i think that though he does it through the holodeck you know and even though it's this intellectual program about sherlock holmes and he's battling moriarty and everything he still invites geordie he still isn't including his friends in it and i think that's his way of play and you know he talks about chess and the violin and that's sort of his expression. But then this kid is teaching him how to just like play and like jump into hay bales and do something just because you can and not because there's a logical or like scientific explanation for it. Yes, I love it. And because it's not something overwhelming, like the emotion ship was mm-hmm. so awkward. Like, yes, oh, it's Lord. something that Data's never done before, but it's it was done in a really weird way. Yeah. And I feel like this just gentle push for Data to continue developing is really sweet. And it fits right in with all the TV show stuff. Yes. You know, like as much as we complained about Spiner this episode, I do think that it was wise to pair him with a boy. Because honestly, that's another great Data episode is Hero Worship. And yes. that's what I was thinking about while we were watching this movie is this poor kid starts emulating Data because his parents are dead. And he likes Data because he shoves on his emotions. Mm-hmm. And Data's like, bruh, sorry. He's <laughs> like, that's not a coping skill. He's that's like, just like I'm not who I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so 
I thought it was a really lovely tiny tiny part of the story for Dato and I I loved him at the beginning when he was you know singing British Tar and I didn't think he was overwhelming at all in no, this movie. No, he yeah. was great. And I am I am sorry, listeners, that I complain so much about Spiner. And I know that, like, he's not the worst person in the world. And I don't want to just complain all the time. But because I do think that Data really shines in the moments he's in. Like, his singing voice in general. I mean, Ashlyn and I, <laughs> this is a really deep cut. But Brent Spiner did a CD. Like, he did, like, a... a, a, a a spoken word, like, short film, essentially. Like, a, a, a musical short film. It's basically like a musical podcast, DV, like, CD. Yeah. I mean, it's not... It's like a... Or maybe it's closer to a, like, dramatic re, dramatic radio broadcast. Yes. Like, you know, there's the famous story of they used to broadcast books over TV and they did War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. And, like, everyone thought that the world was ending and started, like, killing themselves. Like, whoa, <laughs> I think actually yeah. like the pe- mm-hmm. people were like freaking out because they thought it was the news, but it was yeah. just like a dramatic reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, like that, that's totally a thing. And also on Frasier, I've seen them do this. Oh, yeah, you yeah, can totally. tell how young we are that we've never like experienced this. But we're still talking about Frasier and like <laughs> dramatic reading. So we're, we're still off with the, the but, older but, generation. But essentially that's what Brent Spiner does on this CD. It's called... It's something about oh Mr. Blue Eye Mr. Yellow Eyes. Old Yellow Eyes? Wait, is that Oh yeah, old yellow eye. I think you're right. Okay, Rihanna, there's two different things. Okay. So Old Yellow Eyes is back. That's Mm -hmm. one album that he did, and that's just him doing covers of older songs. songs. And and Patrick Stewart does a wonderful version of It's a Sin to Tell a Lie. It's unbelievable. Please go listen to it right now because he does this like spoken word in the middle while data or while uh, Spiner is re is singing and it's beautiful. I kind of feel like this ending of this episode should be to a Brent Spiner song because he feels better about us like roasting him. Yeah. Anyway. Not so, that Spiner's opinion matters, but... Well, so you all feel, and we yeah. feel better. And also, we can say what we said about him. Roast. But anyway, <laughs> um, so that's different. Um, and then he also did... So that's just like a solo album. There's no weird dramatic storytelling. Yeah. So it's an album called Dreamland, and he did a collaboration with Maud Maggart, who sings with him. And it's She's incredible, by the way. story about, like... It, the snapshot of these people's lives. It's actually super gorgeous. And like, we listen to it all the time. But yeah, anyway, we so I knew that Brent Spiner had a beautiful singing voice from this. And so like, it is cool to see him hit those low notes. I love the quote where... Knock down below. It's yeah. so low. <laughs> well, and I, I do love too that, of course, like Picard's like, are you feel familiar with Gilbert and Sullivan? And <laughs> Worf says, I haven't had the time to meet all the new crewmen yet. <laughs> Of course he's not. Yes, he was raised by Russians, but come on. He's not going to know Gilbert and Sullivan. Okay, though, you know what I think, Rihanna, is that, like, I well, I, now I'm getting old, and I'm like, these kids, like, I'm thinking about our freaking almost 10-year-old sister, Gabby, would mm-hmm. not understand this reference. Oh, maybe, not at all. maybe when she's older, but I worry. Like, maybe you she were- won't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. But anyway, I do, I do really like this. It, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also think it shows, like, the people who, like, don't care about classical music or aren't, like, in a date aren't as, like, hardcore fans as Picard is and how everyone on Star Trek loves reading Moby Dick, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that Worf quote is also for the average person who's like, oh, I don't know. 
But like, I met those. And he's like, they're composers. Composers were. And Picard is like twentieth century. Duh, yeah, composers. But oh, it was yeah. But so but funny. if you reference any sort of Klingon opera, he'd be like, of course, this is Kalos's second son, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or whatever. But one other thing too is this is just a fun little anecdote. But one time Ashton and I were looking up British tar on YouTube, and you scroll down the comments. Someone said. I always say sing wharf sing <laughs> when it gets to however many seconds. So so do I. Like literally, oh, you absolutely. Have to. This is the definitive version of British tar. <laughs> yeah. Add a little sing wharf sing, and you're and good to go. Especially when Picard says, "Prepare the docking clamps." Like oh, like you gotta say that. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Rihanna, I mean, this movie ends and the guy dies. <laughs> Picard wins. It's kind of a classic Trek ending. Yeah, and they tell and the. The kid tells Data to have a little fun every day. Yeah, which I thought that was really nice. And they had fun in this movie. They really did. Yeah. Rihanna, wow. (laughs) This is amazing. I feel so happy that we got to record this podcast together in person. It's crazy. I seldom get to see Ashlyn with our crazy schedules. And so it's just so nice to be out here in her beautiful house with her lovely husband hosting us. So, um... We are so excited also for next week to talk about Nemesis. Oh, that's going to be a ride. Yeah, I don't know what to do about Nemesis. I like, I don't know what's going to happen next week. I might like throw up or I might have like a normal time and the movie's like just fine. Maybe I'll be a changed woman in the next week and actually have some interest. I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be a tough one for me. Let's just preface it with that. What I do know is that it has been wonderful to podcast with you, Rihanna. Also, I've had trouble knowing where to look because I'm yeah. like, do I look in your eyes or do I like look away? <laughs> I keep thinking like you're actually behind the screen and I'm just like hallucinating a little, but you're here. It didn't it's really crazy. help with the setup because we're like at this table and we're like face to face, like we're having a business meeting. <laughs> it is a business meeting. It's just about Star Trek. It's Star Trek business. Yes. yes. <laughs> Well, what a freaking joy and a blast. And thank you for listening to us. And I want to wish you all a very happy 2022 and a happy new year because this is our last recording of the year, which blows my mind. Which means that we can actually say, see you next year. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the 10th episode of our movie series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss Star Trek Nemesis. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these epic podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, and villains. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these great episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. 
Our intro was written by Jerry Goldsmith. And maybe our outro was written by Brett Spider. And our outro was sung and maybe written, we don't know, by Brent Spiner. Be sure it's true when you say, I love you, darling. Because, because you know it's a terrible sin to tell a lie. So many, oh, so many hearts have been broken. And all because, because these words were spoken. I love you, yes I do, I love you. If you break my heart, I'll die, so be It's a sin to tell